Instead, what we're being told here is to bring a sonship mentality instead of a slavery mentality. But you have received the spirit of adoption. The spirit bears witness, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit as a legitimate son or daughter. In fact, it's so important to me that you do that. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and day in and day out, he is going to preach and persuade you of your sonship. Because it is the most important thing in prayer. If you don't believe you have that, you don't have anything. So that's why my spirit will testify to believers he will bear witness. And, and it will mean two things. I think one, we'll come to understand that we have irrevocable intimacy. Intimacy that can't be taken away. When I was in third and fourth grade, third or fourth grade, one of the two, um, I remember when uh, this girl in my class brought what I saw was the first mood ring. Right? And they, they sort of came, they, they came out in the, the 70s, early 70s. And, I mean, we all surrounded her, right? And she had this ring on, and she said, well, you know, what happens when you put it on, it can tell what mood you're in. Changes colors, right? Now, of course, the scientists later came on and just uh, told us that, well, it's actually this chemical, and it reacts to heat, and blah, blah, blah. But we didn't know that back then. Um, throughout history, there have been a lot of kings that historically are pretty moody, right? I mean, you can read Pharaoh with Joseph and the cup, the cup bearer. And the, uh, was it the baker? The ba- right? One of them gets promoted, the other one gets what? He's a moody guy, Pharaoh. It's parents. You know, maybe you grew up in a home where your parents were pretty moody. You didn't know which dad you were going to get. You might get dad who was happy to see you or dad that could just turn on a dime. We don't have a father that wears a mood ring that changes all different sorts of colors. We have a king whose mood is always the same. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't have emotions. We, are, we went through that. But he receives you and I in the same way as accepted, beloved children. Now, how can that be? If you question that, you've got good reason to question it, right? Because if you're aware of what you're like and how you live and the way your shortcomings, it's only natural you're going to ask how that is. Well, before we get into this section in this passage about adoption and sonship, there is a long extended discussion about what's called justification. And it's clear that adoption sits on top of justification. Now, justification means, how do you believe you're going to be justified before someone? And when it comes to the end of time and every one of us stand before God, there's only going to be one or two ways. There are going to be those people that seek to be justified by themselves. That is, they make their case based on their life and say, well, I wasn't as bad as that person. I you know, shouldn't have been as like I should. I know I messed up here, but remember. Instead, I received the gift of your son as my substitute. It will be his life of love that I ask you to regard me as. After all, I understand this is why you sent him, to bear the judgment for my failures and to step in for me. 
And it's in the name of that sonship that you and I can come. I've shared this story once before, but it's just so good as an illustration. I have to do it again. Uh, I have a pastor friend who adopted a couple children some years ago, and they lived in a a small town in Tennessee, Franklin, Tennessee. And if you've ever been there, you know there's a rotary. And uh, he would drive his kids around that rotary just to make them laugh and giggle because, you know, it would make them dizzy. And one day they were going around that rotary, and one of the kids said, Hey, that was where I was born! And he wasn't pointing to the hospital, he was pointing to the courthouse. It was very perceptive. Because he was adopted. You and I have that same confidence because of the legality of justification. This adoption is sure. That's why God can receive you. It had nothing to do with you. You know... We have parents in this congregation that have adopted, and they were models of what we'll call God's electing love. They went to a child who couldn't choose them and didn't know anything about it, and they chose that child, and they loved that child. This is what God has done in adoption And so the Holy Spirit's job is to persuade you and I of a different ground. The way we've been coming to God oftentimes is really hampering our prayers. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit will be this. He will take from what is mine and give it to you. Stuart McAlpine, in his book on prayer, says this, The reason that attention is not focused on the Holy Spirit is because he does not bear witness to himself, but is always directing attention away to Jesus, who in turn always directs attention to the Father. This is the beautiful thing about the Christian Trinity, the love, the deference. The Holy Spirit is the spotlight. He's shining the light on Jesus, and then Jesus is shining the light on the Father. Then the Father looks down and he declares, isn't my son so great? To be spirit-filled in the Christian faith means you are Christ-centered. Why is that important? Because if we don't have a grasp of what Christ has achieved... We'll have very weak prayers, and we won't come as sons and daughters. We'll come with a spirit of slavery. First and fundamental, God is sending his spirit to persuade you that you're an adopted child. So the spirit gives us irrevocable intimacy, irrevocable intimacy, and also language, language of intimacy. Um, When Meg and I were in St. Louis... We um, got close with the pastor and his wife, and Meg was over there one day helping her out do some things at her home, and the phone rang, and uh, she picked up the phone, and uh, the woman's uh, wife, the pastor, was a little bit confused. I guess they sounded a little bit the same, and and there was this pause, and he said, Buttercup? (laughs) You know. And we got, you know, we got, we got that little view into their term of endearment, right? That special name, and we all have that, right? Pops or Baba, Abaji, Daddy, Papa, Abba, Aramaic, terms of endearment. Now, if I came up to your dad... You know, you, you brought your, 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 uh, your parent to church here, and I came up and met him and said, Pops! And 
know, you would rightly say, that's a little presumptuous. <laughs> you don't have that connection. Well, if you were trying to relate to God apart from his son, that's a little presumptuous. Because it's through his son that we are given sonship. We are given that right, that family name. And, the, and he gives us the very name, Jesus' pet name, his term of endearment for God the Father, Abba. That was his word. And he wanted us to have it. Because the language you use reinforces the relationship. Right? All the time. It says what relationship you have. It's evidence of sonship. In the Western world, only about 5% of people do what their dads did. But in the ancient world, it was the overwhelming majority, right? If your dad was a farmer, you were going to be a son of a farmer. If your dad was a fisherman, you were going to be a son of a fisherman. This is why Jesus is known as the carpenter's son. And it gets carried on throughout Scripture where Jesus says, uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be sons of God. You'll see the family resemblance. Or with Abraham, for everybody that has faith like Abraham, that doesn't rely on their own merit before God, but faith, they will be children of Abraham. The behavior of the child is a reflection of the father. This is why we cry, Abba, Father. So I want to ask you that, a little exercise. If you haven't noticed, I've been trying to give you maybe one exercise every week. I I, I want to ask you maybe to think about This week, when you pray to God, only addressing him is either Papa or Daddy or Abba. And see if you feel like you can do that. See if you feel like you can do it, even on the days you mess up, on the days you feel distant. See if you're really relying on him and his grace for your prayer life. So the Holy Spirit persuades us of intimacy, but secondly, and lastly, he promotes our need. In 1662, John Bunyan was writing from prison, and he said, It is the Spirit only that can teach us to ask. Without the Spirit, though we had a thousand common prayer books, we know not what we should pray for. E.M. Bounds, who wrote a lot on prayer, said, The Father's greatest gift for the child's greatest need is the Holy Spirit. It's the greatest gift for our greatest need. Having the Spirit of God enables asking to continue as if Jesus were still present. That's what Jesus was going after. You know, imagine what it was like to be the disciples. Right? They're in the presence of Jesus, and that meant a lot of things. I mean, Jesus was fiery. He was bold. He's going to be unpredictable to them and all those things. But they almost, they must have enjoyed some of the sweetest experiences of grace and acceptance there were. And they could ask him for things. You see that when they asked him about prayer, they felt free. The Holy Spirit is given so we can do that. And the reason why that's helpful, two reasons. One, he knows. The Holy Spirit is in the know. This is what Paul says. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He then goes on to say, I pray the Spirit enlightens your hearts, y'all's heart, 
so that you might see the hope to which you're called, how glorious it is to be in community with the saints, the riches of that, and the immeasurable power you have because Jesus lives in you. How are you going to know that? You don't know it on your own. One of the results of sin is we get ignorant. We get callous to what we need. We don't know what we need. We ask poorly. You know, sometimes I imagine what the entertainment will be like in heaven after dinner. And I believe some of it's just going to be laughter. You know, slideshows of you and I just, you know, just have, we'll, we'll be secure enough in grace to laugh at ourselves. One of those things will, will have to be a segment called bad prayer requests. <laughs> you know. Things that you and I have asked for, if we could see how they turned out, they would have been a complete catastrophe. They would have been terrible. Right? That job, you thought, God, give me this job, give me this job, or give me this relationship, give me this relationship. Get me on this team, give me this opportunity, and we'll get to see all the ways it would have blown up. The Holy Spirit, being your advocator, is like a good lawyer. He's going to say, Your Honor, what my client means. What my client means is this. Just right where you, you know, you're about to offend God with your self-righteousness and go, Let's just be real here, God. I've got all my, you know, uh, all my uh, co-workers. They seem to be doing well. They live however they want. I live for you. Your Honor, what my client means is this. They don't have a leg to stand on before you, but you've given your son Jesus for them, and so they have everything. You know, in many ways, we're we're like uh, someone on a game show that's trying to win the big pot, but we just can't do it. We can't figure out the answer. The Holy Spirit promotes our prayers so they are smarter and better. But he also feels our prayers. He groans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. Wordless groans. There's all sorts of prayers in the Bible, intercession and praises and thanks, but God bless those wordless groans. We got examples of them. Psalm 77, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. King Hez- when King Hezekiah was crying out for healing and deliverance, it said that he moaned like a mourning dove. King David said that he was worn out from his groaning. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, theologian, prayer, this is what he said once. My mind wanders, I chatter like a crane, I roar like a beast in pain. I moan in the brokenness of my heart, but oh my God, I know not what is my inmost spirit needs. Or if I know it, I know not how to frame my petition aright before you. It is in such a plight as this that the Holy Ghost aids us, and hence he is a very present help in trouble. The very place of your moans in your tears, in your silence, he's promoting the need. So, the Holy Spirit says, no matter what shape you're in, come to your heavenly Papa in the confidence of Jesus, however you are. You know, we're coming up on kite flying season. And um, 
I've never been great at it. And there's two tricks, right? The first is you've got to get the thing off the ground, and then you've got to keep it in the air. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit does for your prayers, my prayers. They're dragging and bumping along the ground, and he gets them up, and, man, he gets them soaring in the air. There they are in heaven. He lifts them up. And so you and I have hope in this life. So, beloved, in conclusion of this little series on prayer, we, we, we were brought to the idea that we have a Father who hears, we have a Son who authorizes, and we have a Holy Spirit that helps. And I want to conclude with a prayer from a Puritan and make that our closing prayer that I think uh, beautifully speaks for us as we speak to the Father, Son, and Spirit. So will you pray with me? O Father, Thou art enthroned to hear my prayers. O Jesus, Thy hand is outstretched to take my petitions. O Holy Spirit, Thou art willing to show me my need to supply words, to pray within me, to strengthen me that I faint not. O Father, I thank Thee that in fullness of grace Thou hast given me to Jesus to be His sheep, jewel, and portion. O Jesus, I thank Thee that in fullness of grace Thou hast accepted, espoused, and bound me. O Holy Spirit, I thank Thee that in fullness of grace Thou hast exhibited Jesus as my salvation, implanted faith within me, subdued my stubborn heart, and made me one with Him forever. Amen.